From Community Public Radio, this is the CPR News. From New York, I'm Don DeBar. Today, we go down to Esteli in Nicaragua to speak with our friend Stephen Sefton. He's a journalist that lives there and has lived there for quite some time. He's going to give us the things happening in Latin America, Central and South America, and the Caribbean from his vantage point in Nicaragua. And Stephen, welcome. Thanks very much, Don. Thanks for inviting me again. Um, As usual, there's far too much to talk about, but... And perhaps some something that may be useful to, to kind of frame it. Um, perhaps we can talk about uh, the Southcom and uh, then their new chief Laura Richardson and her remarks made on H March eighth, I think, in front of the Senate committee. Yeah. About um, their priorities in the region. Maybe we can talk about that later. Right. But something that I did, I did want to remark on is that the. There, people often talk about in in the region in very simplistic ways and kind kind of reduce things to kind of catchphrases that are very handy for for, for journalists. And by the way, I think of myself more as a of more as a reporter than as a journalist because, and I think uh, journalism is has gone downhill in a right. practically irretrievable way over the last 20 years. So I mean, I prefer talking about reporting than about journalism, but I know that's, you know, that's, that's maybe that's a discussion for another time. But anyway, yeah. um, the, 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 what, what, uh, uh, many news outlets do is they reduce, uh, discussions of, uh, they simplify discussions of what's happening in the Latin American and Caribbean region by talking about a uh, phenomenon like the pink tide or the conservative restoration. And you know, and I've always explained to you and our listeners that I regard this as completely unhelpful because I, 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 I think those phrases have practically zero explanatory power. And when you look at the, 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 the broader movements that are happening across the region, and we can come to this later on when we look at what La- La- Laura Richardson had to say to the Senate, right. you're, you're, you're talking about really quite profound conflicts. Um, and we can uh, some of the things that we can talk about will illustrate those conflicts. And for example, and we mentioned in a couple of conversations uh, ago, um, the one of the main policy contests in the region, the probably the fundamental key policy contest in the region is between policies promoting productive investment that create wealth for the societies of the countries of Latin America and the Caribbean and a kind of exploitative, extractive kind of looting that has been um, 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 unfortunately Latin America and the, the, the lot of Latin America and the Caribbean right. over the last 200, 300 years. Right. First at the hands of the Spanish and the Portuguese and the British and the Dutch, um, and subsequently at the hands of the United States and, 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 and also the former colonial powers too. And, but that, 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 and that continues to be one of the, the main contests going on in the region. Um, and then also, you have these, the, the, this fundamental conflict between the indigenous and Afro-descendant resistance to the colonial powers and the efforts of the white 
the, the, the white majority, or sorry, the white minority um, in the region to cling on to power come what may. And, and, and the, the, with the support of, and they've always, that, that, that white elite that has always served as the proxies for the imperialist powers of uh, North America and, and Europe. Right. And so I mean, it seems to me that those are a much more important kind of axes to grasp in order to understand what's happening um, in the region and uh, practically everything that, that is happening in in, in uh, the the contemporary history of Latin America and the Caribbean um, can 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 be much better understood by uh, lo- looking at those those long-standing components of uh, events in Latin America and the Caribbean. So um, to illustrate that, and one of the things uh, that we might look at is the, the continuing situation in Colombia of murders of social leaders that, that, that is continuing. And finally, it seems to have reached the attention of the United Nations Security Council who are going to uh, uh, supposedly have a meeting to discuss the catastrophic human rights and humanitarian situation in Colombia. I mean, people often forget that uh, Colombia is a, a, a country with a huge population of displaced people, well over four or five million people. Um, and uh, the, the great, I, I was su- surprised, I shouldn't have been surprised to see the, a, a report that around 70% of those displaced people are actually Afro-descendant and indigenous. Um, and that, you know, and, and what does that mean? I and mean, what that means is that that's just a continuing example of the way Afro-descendants and indigenous peoples are the people who suffer most from the neo-colonial policies in a country like Colombia that is practically occupied militarily by the United States. The United States has, I can't remember if it's seven or eight military bases in Colombia, and they use Colombia as their kind of base to project military power in the region in particular against Venezuela. And so there's some hope now that in the elections, the presidential elections coming up on May the 29th, um, that uh, the progressive candidate, a, 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 a strong social democrat candidate called Gustavo Petro, is going to do well, and he 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 and his running mate are, are currently well ahead in the opinion polls. And his running mate, he chose as his running mate, and I think this is very symbolic and important. He chose as his running mate a woman called Francia Marquez, who is an Afro descendant woman. She's a, a very well-known lawyer, very active on human rights and environmental issues, um, and she she is going to uh, run with Petro uh, on the progressive ticket of the um, uh, Pacto Historico uh, movement, and they, it looks likely that they are going to do very well in the elections. Um, so. Uh, and, and we, we, it, it, most people expect Petro and Marquez to win. Um, so why is that important? In, in, in the Colombian context, it's important because Afro-descendant people make up almost 10 million of Colombia's 51 million population. And so 
the the, the fact that for the what I understand for the first time, um, there's a, a, a an Afro descendant candidate, especially a female Afro descendant candidate, um, on the pres on a presidential ticket, and they are likely to win, and that seems to me absolutely um, fundamental to to in terms of. Uh, realizing the, the the possible change that may take place in 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 Colombia should should they go ahead and win as most people think they will and then another aspect of that same issue is currently taking place in Bolivia Before where, we go there, can, I, can I just ask you they had the, the parliamentary election in Colombia last month and um, yeah, that, that's right yeah I'm curious how, how did uh, Say, uh, for example, um, how did uh, Petro and Marquez party do? Well, and I think they're from different parties, um, but their coalition, the uh, the Pacto Historico, did exceptionally well in the Colombian context. Oh, good. And and so you know, and they they got. I've, I've forgotten what percentage of the vote they got. And I I think they. They, but they, they got a, 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 a an unprecedented number of deputies in the lower house, and they also did quite well in the Senate. Oh, I see. They got 27 in the chamber and uh, 20 in the Senate. They, they they came in first, but the num the numbers are distributed. These are not majorities. I'm just curious, like what kind of a, you know, what kind of a, a government? Uh, the, if 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 these two win. Um, what kind of government they're going to be heading, you know, like what's what's underneath them is difficult well, to tell because the, there's like five parties. Well, there's seven parties that all had from 10 to 14 percent, more or less, um, in the uh, Senate and uh, in the House. Um, there's three parties in double digits from uh, the historic pact had 16 and change, liberals 14 and change, conservative 12 and change, and then you had... Democratic Center, Party of Unity, Radical Change, and Green Alliance between six and nine percent each one. Yeah, and, uh, uh, overall, yeah. And it's it's not it's still not a bad result for the right wing, right? Because uh, and if they if they're able to overcome their their their, their sectarian and personal differences, mm -hmm. they should still be able to block legislation proposed by. A future Petro government that they don't like, right. but that's you know that's by no means certain. And, and uh, if you look at the way the the right wing in Venezuela has been completely unable to to combine effectively to um, uh, uh, challenge the dominance of the PSUV and the government of Nicolas Maduro, and it seems unlikely that the if that the Colombian right is going to combine um, in a more effective way. And, but, and we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. And Co Colombia is such an extraordinary country in terms of, of, of the polarization. Um, and also quite similar to Venezuela in many ways. But and what they lack is a party like the United Venezuelan Socialist Party that is um, uh, uh, strong enough to unify uh, with its allies and maintain the ascendance of the Bolivarian Revolution against the, the divided right-wing opposition in Venezuela. So then, well, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens in Colombia. But going following, following up on that theme of, you know, the the... 
because it seems to me that what that Francia Marquez's uh, candidacy as vice president running with Petro, that is such a radical change. And one of the reasons it's such a radical change is that it represents a very strong symbol of Afro-descendant and indigenous resistance that has been just an absolutely permanent feature of the struggle against imperialism and the struggle against colonialism and the struggle against the intervention of the United States, you know, um, over, over, the, over the last century or so. Um, and and you, you, you can all, you can, that's such a common theme practically throughout the region. And um, if you look at Bolivia currently, the trial is continuing now of uh, Janine Agnes, who was the leader of the coup regime that took power after the coup against Evo Morales in 2019. Um, and that that trial is uh, under the under the judicial authority uh, of uh, a Bolivian set of uh, state powers that are largely controlled by indigenous people, by by the mass party, and so and the what, that 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 the trial of Janine Agnes. Um, uh, but in a, in a context in which the indigenous uh, peoples have political uh, pre, uh, predominance or, or, or control is also very very symbolic of the the change in the region that uh, that has taken place certainly over the last twenty years, whereby the voice of indigenous people and the resistance of indigenous people has become much more forthright and much more successful. Um, and, and, and it seems to me that that's, that's uh, an important axis of, uh, in, in to, to, to grasp in order to understand events in Latin America and the Caribbean. And so, for example, and if you look at it from a different point of view, if you look at the victory of um, Gabriel Boric in um, in Chile, and one of the things that Boric is going to have to address is, and he may, but I'm, it, it, the, I'm very skeptical about um, his program because he's a social democrat, and my view of social democrats is that they'll they'll just hold the fort um, until they're ready to open the door again for the right wing to so as to stop. Progress, genuinely progressive, genuinely radical, genuinely revolutionary um, forces taking power in their country. In this case, Chile. And so, one of the there there are four things really that we'll we'll be able to judge Boric on whether whether he's genuinely progressive or not. One is uh, reform of the grotesquely repressive fascist Carabinieri uh, police force in Chile. The second thing will be reform of education, which is grossly unfair to uh, low-income, disadvantaged low-income families who make a, up a substantial part of, uh, of Chilean society. Um, pension reform, to make pension reform uh, more just on behalf of uh, Chile's pensioners who, 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 who do not get a fair deal under the privatised uh, pension scheme that was 
uh, promoted way back. I've forgotten what, actually when it was uh, instigated, but it's run by private pension companies um, right. for 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 the benefit of the wealthy elite, and right. they they do not genuinely represent the needs of uh, uh, Chile's pensioners. So, so that's a third thing. A fourth thing is. Um, is Boric going to address the issue of uh, in the Mapuche people's indigenous rights, which has been a kind of glaring sore in the, uh, Chile's history ever, ever, ever since, um, uh, again, this white minority imposed itself on um, an, uh, indigenous people's territories, stole their land, um, and, and over the last... For, for as long as I can remember, the Mapuche people in both Chile and Argentina have been struggling to resist continuing depredations of their land and attempting to recover that land that has been stolen from them for, from them for o o over a century, progressively. Now, if, if Boric had, uh, addresses those four things and does something he, and engages in serious reform, which he should be able to because he won by... A, Oh, a, a good margin. Um, if he does, then he will be fulfilling the, the hopes that so many progressive people placed in him. Um, but I, I suspect that that is not going to happen. I, I, but we'll see. And, and that, that issue, that I, for me, that is a litmus test of, of whether Boric is a, a, a genuinely progressive or just another social democrat holding the fort. Um, to, to, to protect the interests of the right wing over the, the overwhelmingly white right wing elites in in his country. I, I wonder um, what's it, what's it, you know we had uh, what is it fifty years ago practically now with um, Allende. You know the U.S. engineered the, uh, the the truckers strikes, all the things that were uh, you know the uh, manifestation of making the economy scream. Uh, that you know culminated in, I like to put it, Allende committing suicide with two machine guns from 50 feet behind him or whatever. But to, to his death, do you think Boris hears echoes of Allende's cry? Yeah, and I, and I think that's true, Don. I think that's self-evidently true. Um, and and I, I regard Boric as um, a, a younger male version of Michelle Bachelet. And Michelle Bachelet herself was a victim of the Pinochet regime. Um, um, uh, 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 but despite that, and she, she was a, a very solid uh, centre-right social democrat politician, very strongly um, sympathetic to the interests of the United States. Even and now, at the United Nations, even now, she's piling on Russia over Ukraine, and you know she might as well work for the State Department at the oh, U.S. Yeah, sure, sure, absolutely, and just as she did against Nicaragua and Venezuela. That's right. That's correct. That's the same. So, and in in, in Boric's case, <coughs> sorry, in Boric's case, and. Yeah, you can get a gauge of, of of where he's going. He he recently visited, um, or, or sorry, you can get a gauge of what his likely loyalties are going to be. Um, he uh, following his recent visit to Argentina. Um, and during that visit, he had a a, a very 
warm welcome from uh, Alberto Fernandez, the Argentinian president. And I just thought it was very, very interesting that uh, around the time of his visit, and in fact, I, I think it was immediately after his visit, um, both Argentina, Chile, Paraguay and Uruguay, uh, they all voted to, to suspend Russia from the United Nations Human Rights Council. Right. I know that that's a, a very symbolic kind of vote you yeah. know, and, and may not have real world consequences at all for Russia. Right. Um, but I just thought it, it was very interesting that uh, all those uh, countries, the uh, uh, Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina and Chile uh, voted to suspend Russia from the Human Rights Council. And then this morning, I don't know if you saw the report, but the, the TASS news agency reported that Argentina and Chile um, have agreed to suspend lithium shipments to, to Russia. Yeah, I did see that, yeah. And so, you know, and I, the, so, so what's going on there? And, and that's, that's the United States putting pressure on these countries, um, Argentina that they've got impaled on a, an IMF spike yeah. um, uh, with a, a massive debt obligations to uh, the, the IMF that in effect give the IMF control over Argentina's domestic economic policy. And then you have this guy, Boric, who's, who's very clearly the kind of, as it were, son of Bachelet. Um, and, and he too is, is, is adopting an anti-Russian position um, now, and to be fair to Boric, he has taken some measures, domestic measures, that look as though he may understand the importance of not alienating um, his political base. And for example, he's uh, announced uh, plans to reactivate small, the, the small business economy in Chile by offering government support which is something that you'd never have got under his predecessor, Sebastian Piñera. Right. But, you know, and that, 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 that is also a, 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 an expression of the other thing that um, certainly from my part, I regard as absolutely fundamental to um, the way events in go, which is the, um, the, 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 the contest between and politicians and political movements promoting productive investments um, have, 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 have used his political and economic control. So, and there's, there's that contest going on. And it seems to me that um, the, the I, I think this brings us to Laura Richardson um, is uh, in a very, very strong, assertive way, fires uh, matters of especial concern in the region, um, the growing Chinese influence in the region, and they talk specifically about massive... But can from, just uh, explain, the, let me just explain uh, to listeners, Southcom is the sub of the U.S. military. In other words, the United States has the world divided up into different commands, different zones, um, and this particular uh, is called Southcom or the Southern Command, and, and what we're talking about Southcom. Right. So actually, one of the things that she said in her remarks to the to the Senate on March 8th last, uh, coordinate much more closely with AFRICOM, so as to coordinate control uh, 
in, of, the, of the Atlantic region between uh, Latin America and Africa. And that's something that she said very explicitly. And so, but I'm going back to her remarks about um, a matter of concern to the United States, the fact that China has invested, I've forgotten what the figure is, I think it's $72 billion in, in the projects that she mentioned, which included a big highway project, Cuba, um, various projects, infrastructure projects across the rest of, uh, of, of the continent. And she pointed out that um, USAIDs or, or uh, I've, I've forgotten which institute, institution she mentioned, uh, their, their contribution was something like 720 million. I mean, you know, I'm, uh, a ridiculously, you know, the, uh, an amount that doesn't even bear comparison with uh, the, the, the investment that China is making in the region. Um, and so, you know, and, but that to me to be a, a measure of the extent to which United States and European interest in Latin America and the Caribbean has been purely extracted. They do not invest a significant way in developing the potential for wealth creation for the countries in Latin America and the Caribbean. They, they just don't do it. And, they, they, and, and I, I, they've never done it. They've always engaged in what you call um, looting, and, and quite right. rightly. Right. You know? I think if you, so, if you look at it, if you look at this, just to, to interrupt for one, again for one second, I mean, in essence, what we have here is a, you know, a history of the United States and of you know, the UK, Spain, France, the, the Netherlands, uh, who the hell ever Belgium? They didn't have much over here. Uh, uh, you know, French, French Guyana. Yeah, fr yeah fr and, and also uh, uh, Germany. Also, real relationships with with people here that began with Columbus and still continues. And 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 in essence, the the economy were only allowed to develop. The only investment were things that uh, assisted in the extraction of resources and and value from the from the region. So. You would get roads to the ports to carry nearby, just close enough to be able to go to work and subsist for 20 or 30 years till they drop dead. And hopefully they've reproduced enough so there's two or three other workers, you know, waiting in the wings to, to take their place. No development, no infrastructure, no advancement really permitted. These things were required. The cities, you know, Caracas and Venezuela, all these different, they were allowed to develop. And so that happened. But in essence, a parasitic people of this region existed. China coming in with a powerful economy and offering a quite different uh, relationship. That, you know, the slogan was win-win, but it's an alternative to that. And the same Africa and the United States response, the military sees its job as to thwart China as an alternative to enable the continued extraction of value from these places, shells, the phenomenon we're talking about. Well, yeah, I know, and I know Laura Richardson tries to, to 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 put lipstick on the pig of U.S. neo-colonial uh, looting, and by talking about the importance of uh, increasing development uh, support in the region, but that's you know, and and they they and they always do, they, you know, they periodically and. Uh, 
John F. Kennedy came up with what was it, the Alliance for Alliance Progress? Alliance for Progress, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, and they periodically come out with these kind of more lipstick, right? Um, uh, yeah, it's just lipstick on well, on 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 their monstrous their monstrous behavior. Well, and, we and got about so, a minute and a half. I'm sorry, Stephen. I just noticed that, so we got to kind of wrap it up. You want to take? Well, yeah. Out? Well, I'm just very quickly, and and so what one of the things that, that that is another expression of what we're talking about is the fact that Venezuela has successfully resisted US sanctions so-called sanctions they're unilateral co- coercive measures completely illegal it and credit suisse the, the 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 big international financial outfit has uh, just brought out a report projecting that Venezuela will have 20% growth this year. Ain't that amazing? They've got inflation down to under 2% a month, That's pretty which good. is absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. And they've just handed over the four millionth home. Four million homes. They for built four lo- million homes. families. Yeah. <laughs> with all that, with all those sanctions, they built four million homes. In a, in, in a country with a population of about 30 million, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, on, on the 20th anniversary of the coup against Hugo Chavez, which, bear, which also bears out what I was saying about, and Hugo Chavez was a man of color. And the, and, and the reason that the Venezuelans, uh, the Venezuelan elites hated him was because they're white supremacists. Stephen, thank you very much. You're very welcome, Don. Looking forward to talking to you next time. The same, thanks. And that's all the news we have for you right now. For Community Public Radio, I'm Don DeBar in New York. Thanks for listening.